You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello everyone, I'm Demet Çanakçı, Senior Program Director at Toronto Centre. My guest today is Beju Shah. Beju is Head of Nordics for the Bank for International Settlements, Innovation Hub. He leads a team of experts in cybersecurity, payments, artificial intelligence and central bank digital currencies to deliver trailblazing projects and insights on technology to the global central bank community and policymakers. Before the BIS, Beju was at the Bank of England for 10 years in several roles, leading on large data, digital and business transformation programs, innovation, as well as international initiatives. Beju, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, uh, for inviting me to uh, speak about this today. Yeah, thank you. First of all, congratulations on successfully completing Project Aurora. Before we dive into the project, I'm curious how Innovation Hub projects uh, are named. They are all really <laughs> cool names, <laughs> such as Icebreaker, Polaris, Aurora, just to name a few. That's a very good question to start with. Um, how they're named, I think it's down to the creativity of, of the teams and the center heads. In our case, our first projects, we, um, we asked our host central banks to uh, name them. We ran a little competition. Uh, and then from there, we, uh, the team selected uh, you know, the, the favorites. So it's quite a democratic process. But actually what came out were some really, really good names. And I think they're very fitting for the projects we've just delivered. Very good. It's a good combination of democracy and creativity. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's dive into the project then. Uh, money laundering is a global problem that undermines the integrity and safety of the global financial system. Can you tell us the main objectives of Project Aurora? Well, the, the main objectives of Project Aurora were one, to really look at this very complex problem of money laundering and treat it as a data problem. Um, so. The first objective was to improve the performance and the effectiveness of AML analysis in a way that still protects privacy and sensitive information. Uh, the Financial Action Task Force, in uh, some of the work they've done around digital transformation for AML efforts that they published over the last couple of years, um, talks about several uh, different technologies that could be used to enhance AML efforts, and they include the use of privacy-enhancing technologies, advanced analytics, including machine learning, federated learning, uh, and network analysis, and, and, and graph data structures, um, uh, to and, and, and also the, the power of collaborative analytics to do that. So we wanted to, uh, after speaking to many different uh, experts and companies and authorities, as we started to get a real grip uh, to a better understanding of the, of the problem, it was, it was clear that these technologies um, needed to be tested. And so we created a, a proof of concept to give platform to see actually, could you, could you do this? But also we, we looked at the, um, 
Uh, we also wanted to explore the potential of connected payments data and, and, and leverage the power of that because uh, today that's not really used uh, or used nearly as much as it could be. Uh, and also to say, to look at the problem right now, which is where you have a siloed approach to um, transaction monitoring analysis. And uh, the nature of money laundering is actually cross-institution and cross-border. So if we're not looking at the problem for what it is, you're not able to um, find solutions to tackle it. So we wanted to test and compare the performance of these technologies to see actually can we, if by, are we able to um, uh, detect more than we can to do, to, can we do today by testing these technologies out in different, in different modes and actually compare the results to say, can we, can we achieve a better outcome than actually the, 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 um, the, the way that things are working today, which uh, frankly is ineffective. Thank you, Beju. Um, you uh, touched on a little bit the process when you are talking about uh, objectives, uh, but can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on uh, how project is run? Yeah, the way the way we um, constructed the project was um, it, it wasn't going to be feasible for us at this stage to get um, uh, you know, real world companies involved for a number of different reasons. But, you know, the legal process and other other factors would be incredibly complex. What we wanted to do is, in a very small proof of concept, um, test out the technologies I've just mentioned and to, to really showcase what was possible. So what we did was um, we first generated, uh, created uh, uh, generated a synthetic data set. Uh, this was based off of um, uh, real-world uh, transactions um, and represented transaction flows across six countries, 29 financial institutions, over 150,000 accounts, and we embedded uh, complex money laundering patterns within that data, uh, and uh, we built that um, on the, the advice of the partners that we were working with and also some external experts as well. Uh, and that meant that we had something realistic that you could uh, that you know, used a minimum set of information that was required in, 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 and also represented different views of the data. So you could have an institution, a siloed view of the data. You could also have a national perspective and also a cross-border perspective too. Um, then that was the first part. Once we had that data set, uh, we were able to then um, apply different machine learning models over that data set to analyze. Um, we took, I think, four or five different algorithms uh, and uh, we analyzed the effectiveness of each of those algorithms against a siloed view of the data, a national view of the data, and then a cross-border view of the data and compared um, each for their effectiveness. Not only the machine learning models in each of those scenarios, but also we could compare how you know how much more you could, uh, how many more uh, money launders you could detect in each of these uh, more broader views of data and connected data sets. Um, and then the third part um, took the the more optimal uh, uh, machine learning models uh, from from uh, the, the second part, and then. Um, Apply them again, but this time we'd applied different. We'd applied privacy-enhancing technologies over the data set. So these were then, uh, you know, encrypted uh, and sensitive and private information protected, and then applied the optimal perform uh, machine learning models over that to see actually how they compared as well, um, both uh, in, in each of those scenarios. So again, in a in a uh, in a centralized view where we simulated the. Uh, data could be collected at a national level and in, in, in some sort of national transaction monitoring utility. Uh, we then did the same thing, and this is more of a thought experiment to say, okay, well, what if there was a, a cross-border international uh, utility? Now, 
uh, being frank, something like that would be quite difficult to achieve. But actually, from a from a comparison and a thought experiment point of view, uh, we we did that. Uh, the next one, uh, the next part of comparison, we 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 then looked at a decentralized approach. There, we use federated learning. So in that in that instance. Um, no data would leave uh, a country or a firm and actually they would uh, uh, countries or firms would work together to collaboratively train a machine learning model and then um, train that on their local data set and then share the insights around so that's a very different approach and then the last one was a hybrid approach where data would be um, as a, uh, uh, collected on a, on, a, on, a, on a national basis in a centralized way, but then uh, at an international you would collaborate in a, in a decentralized way where you then train a, a machine learning model between countries uh, to do that. And then we, by comparing those different scenarios, you then were able to say which, which of those um, collaborative analysis and learning models, as we call them, so that, that um, these collaborative analysis learning models are when um, you know, that data has been um, shared, or or uh, or, 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 or you know, you're able to use it in a decentralized or, de or decentralized way, um, uh, and also that where the data has been uh, protected using uh, privacy-enhancing technologies. And through that, we were able to get a lot of different comparisons of what is the most effective approach, and really lend weight to the fact that actually you can't. There is a better way of. Uh, combating money laundering and actually you can use things like privacy enhancing technologies and if there was more appetite to move towards even at the very least a some sort of national um, transaction monitoring utility that employ these technologies uh, then actually that's still much better than what would what is going on today thank you very much Beju. Uh, this uh, sounds quite comprehensive and also uh, obviously a lot of work um, thank you for sharing and maybe a follow-up question on that. What are your findings and main takeaways from Project Aurora? The, oh yeah. So the, the main takeaways uh, really is that um, you know, national and cross-border, so the broadest data, the more, more holistic data uh, view of the data you have, the, the more money laundering, money more, more money laundering events that you're going to find, basically, and that national and cross-border analysis is more effective uh, in detection, but also in the reduction of false positives than the approaches that are taken today. Uh, machine learning and network analysis is more effective um, in detection and reduction of false positives than rule-based approaches that are used today. Um, and then privacy-enhancing technologies in particular, when you combine them with machine learning and network analysis, become a game-changer in that because you can still protect uh, that sensitive information and enable uh, collaborative analysis and learning to take place. So this starts to shift the dial. Now we've seen also, um, in particularly in the last, last few weeks and, and certainly this week, uh, increased emphasis on the use of privacy enhancing technologies where the, the UK's ICO have published a very comprehensive report underscoring pretty much the same things, that they, they can be used to um, potentially meet certain data protection requirements, protecting uh, sensitive information, and allow this type of learning to take place. And certainly, uh, we know that the, the, the UK and the US are also collaborating on a uh, privacy enhancing technology um, competition where they're looking to advance um, innovation in that space and it's a fast-growing field so actually even some of the the uh, the, the technologies that are available today if you, if, you, if you fast forward three four years they're going to be really powerful more mainstream by them because I think there is there is such a demand and a huge potential in that uh, and you know uh, the last sort of I would say key finding is that cross-border collaboration with PETs in this experiment 
can find three times more money launderers than than conventional approaches. And we did, I mean, if you go into the report, there's many other comparisons, but essentially the bottom line is, is that the broader view, the more holistic view, the broader view, the more you can connect different data sets, the more you're going to find. Um, and actually, you know, with any issues around uh, data protection or data sharing or even international kind of collaboration, PET, uh, privacy enhancing technologies then come in and actually can really uh, catalyze some of that change. Thank you, Vesha. Uh, thank you very much. This is so all very interesting. I mean, uh, this is um, great to see that we can actually leverage technology uh, to the benefit of, you know, enhancing cross-border payments. So CBDCs are also one of the initiatives uh, to enhance cross-border payments. On the one hand, the potential introduction of CBDC systems offer novel possibilities to strengthen domestic and cross-border payments. On the other, CBDCs could provide a new vector for money launderers. Some MDs, as we all know, have already launched CBDCs. Some others are working on it. So how can they benefit from findings of Project Aurora? Yeah, we touched on this on, in, in the report for exactly that reason, because, um, yes, you, you're, you're quite right. They, they will invite new vectors for, for money laundering and things that we haven't seen yet, or actually maybe you could could potentially see um, examples of from either the crypto space or even instant payment systems that you could probably extrapolate to a CBDC system. Um, what uh, what you know um, uh, people can learn from from Aurora is is the fact that with CBDC systems, again, you have this more more of a holistic view of 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 that data, um, and therefore you can use that for this type of analysis too. Even if you did it at bare minimum, you didn't have some national utility, but you're just doing it at the CBDC or instant payment system level, you can still use that to find quite a lot. The other the other aspect is one thing that we do mention in the report is to say, well, we have an opportunity now to get on the front foot. Now, you're not going to be able to predict different typologies because they evolve all the time. But what you can do is go, well, what could you see? What are you likely to see? What can we learn from what we've seen in crypto? What can we learn from uh, and get, come on the front foot to start thinking about these things now? So uh, you're not on the back foot. I mean, we're you know we're always on the on the back foot because these are very <laughs> they're, they're quite creative. I mean, there's, I remember there's a there's one uh, newsletter I follow, and some of the new typologies that emerge quite uh, sometimes quite bizarre. You're like, okay, uh, that's interesting so i think um it, it does give you that view of you can use that payments data you can build in this analysis from the start and actually you can get on the front foot if you start thinking about some of the things that you're likely to see and i think that's there's a lot to learn just from there um i think also it's how this also feeds into the broader ecosystem because it's not just a cbdc system it's going to be it could be the existing instant payments networks it could be other other uh, pools of payments data and actually by bringing these together you'll be able to see the flows that go in and out of each of these systems so you may move from for example cbdc to a traditional bank account into crypto to something else and move it around unless you're connecting the, all these dots together you're not going to be able to see those flows so this is just going to be another as you know, another vector another system that um illicit money may will likely flow through as it, as it does anyway uh and actually we can be on the front foot around uh, some of these things great thank you so much Pedro. um we heard from you how project aurora contributes to both national and international discussions on leveraging connected payments data uh, to combat money laundering across institutions and borders. And this uh, now that the first phase is successfully completed, uh, what is next? 
Well, that's a great question. I think uh, we, I think we've set out, we've achieved what we set out to in, in this first phase, which is to give platform to the technologies and show what is possible. And I think even some of the results um, went beyond our expectations too. Uh, so, what's next? It's more more of things like this, where we're you know speaking to yourselves, we're giving more platform to the work, we're discussing, we're sharing these ideas, and hopefully that leads to either. Um, people taking the ideas on and applying them in other work or thinking how it can be used or influencing the debate. Or it can also lead to um, more of an appetite to do some more real-world pilots, which is a call to action that we also have in the report as well. Um, on both sides, I mean, it's only been what uh, about three, three weeks or so since we published the report. And even in that time, there's been a huge interest from around the world. Uh, so we're speaking to, to many different groups uh, about this, even if it's just a, a briefing on the work. But also um, some groups have suggested, oh, actually, we, we might think about maybe doing some sort of real-world pilot. So right now, it, it could go in a number of directions. Also in the report, there's probably more room for the, the, the human side of it, because it's fine to do the technology, but there has to be the people driving. I mean, in, in, earlier in April, we had a Nordic Baltic symposium to um, collaboration to tackle economic crime, uh, and that addresses the, the the people part, the public-private partnership. This, the technology enables, but unless there is the, the people coming together, it's not gonna, not going to work. So we may have more roundtables to discuss some other aspects around privacy or data or, or other aspect, uh, legal aspects, and that will just inform more of a discussion. Um, but also within there, there's a few other value add technical things around um, uh, around applying knowledge graph technology to um, represent um, typology information and that could be quite useful too so um, it could be a few small things and it could be potentially some uh, bigger things but i think we um, need to talk more and, and, and see how we, we take this to uh, potentially the next phase certainly the findings from it are may influence um, the other work of the innovation hub or other things that are going on within the bis2 uh, or you know the central banks as well Great, thank you, Major. This um, I think this is a good place to conclude the conversation. It has been a fascinating discussion. I learned a lot about the project Aurora. Uh, do you have any final comments? Uh, I think the main thing is is um, we continue this dialogue. Um, we work out how we collaborate. There are some big questions to be addressed around data protection and, and other things and legal matters, uh, what public-private partnership means, and actually um, they need to continue and happen. But also I think, uh, as I said, more real-world real world experimentation does need to happen. Um, if, if, if people are serious about really combating money laundering, then we have to leverage the data technologies and the opportunities we have today that we didn't have. 30 years ago, for example, during the BCCI scandal, uh, if we had the data and technology we have today, we'd, you know, we'd, you, that might become more apparent. But I think um, uh, we need to use what we have today, collaborate and, and you know, come together to really tackle this. And if we're serious about this, then these technologies can really help. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Bejo. Um, I encourage participants to read Project Aurora and other initiatives by the BIS Innovation Hub. They are all available at the BIS website. I'm here today with Bejo Shah, and you have been listening to Toronto Center's podcast series. Thank you for joining us today, and stay tuned for the next episodes. Mm-hmm.